allowing ourselves to show failure and to talk about those failures. That's something that in the organization, it starts from the top. And if we can show our leaders being vulnerable and being willing to showcase failures and not be perfect and to show like, hey, it took me 13 practice sessions for me to be able to get to this place where I'm this good and I had coaching and I had this and this, to talk about those types of things, the ability to fail and the ability to be vulnerable from everybody else in the company is that much more increased. And it's something that I challenge leaders, do more of that. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman. And I'm Karina Owens, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Hello, Reveal listenership. Before we jump into this episode, I just want to say that this episode is one that you're going to want to take notes on. So get at that pen and paper, start dropping down those Apple notes. We brought on the duo of all duos, Macy Tanking and Will Post onto the show. And I got to say, they are one amazing duo. Would you agree with me, Danny? Karina, a thousand percent. So Macy is the head of sales enablement and Will's the VP of revenue. And they're both coming to us from VidMob. And between the two of them, they're just the definition of this dynamo pairing. In the episode, you're going to hear Macy and Will talk just all things trust within your sales enablement organization and how that then overlays into revenue, really just utilizing this unbelievable trustworthy collaboration across both parties. The importance of also imbuing that with empathy and compassion and technology along the way, just to boost all the success across both parties. Really what we're going to see is this awesome how-to guide on developing a unified approach between revenue and enablement. That's just going to give all of your organizations that sought after competitive edge they're looking for and so much more. Karina, what do you say? I say let's get into it. Will and Macy, welcome to Reveal. How are you? It's good to be here. Awesome to be here. Thanks for having us. I think I can speak for Karina and I that we are licking our chops because we talk in isolation to revenue leaders. We talk in isolation to enablement leaders, but rarely do we ever get them in the same room to keep each other honest and demystify code, whatever it may be the winning formula, because I think some people can do it fine. Some people can do it wrong, but you guys seem, given that you guys have shared multiple tours together to have had wild success in working off one another. So why don't we start there? Can you begin to unpack for our listeners? What is the secret sauce? Well, I appreciate how you kicked us off. We just completed performance reviews at the company. And I feel like we should have gone through that as a twosome as well, Macy. I feel like Danny should have just spoken on both of our behalves. But yeah, as you said, I mean, Macy and I have had the opportunity to work together for years now at more than one company. I think I was here for all of five minutes before reaching out to Macy to say, hey, I think we could use you here. And we've always worked in this capacity. I'm sure Macy's going to talk about her history, but we've always worked in this capacity where I've been managing or leading a sales team. And Macy's been working on the enablement side. And really, one of the most powerful partnerships that I've had in my sales career is what I've experienced here. So it's been great to have multiple tours together with Macy. And to that point, I think a lot of organizations treat these two disciplines as very separate. And what I've found is the closer I can get to my partners in sales, in product marketing, in product the more effective I can be within sales enablement, we're ultimately trying to solve the same problem with customer satisfaction. And so the closer we can be aligned in those goals, I think the better both of our organizations can be. So I think it's super fascinating to hear that you guys have this closeness, this intimacy, professionally speaking, 
And I want to continue to get more granular, right? In an email that was shared with Karina and I before this episode, Will, you described yourself as a reluctant seller, someone who never actually wanted to be in sales. And then you informed us that Macy has the psychology background. So I don't think it's commonplace that always enablement is brought into the inner circle or has an equal vote next to revenue. Typically, we see that there's a subordination. And I'm wondering, is it because of Macy's psychology background? Macy's it because Will doesn't actually want to be a seller yet. He's the head of revenue. Like, give us some really tactical ways where for people who are looking to create their own winning formula, what are those building block foundational elements that are keys to your success? Well, I should say that I'm very happy to be in sales. It was early in yeah, my sorry. sales career. It was very early in my sales career that I kind of accidentally fell into sales. But yeah, I mean, I think, look, first and foremost, I got to know Macy as, as a coach full stop. So as a coach to our sales team when we were both at Facebook, but also when I needed coaching, Macy was one of the first people that I would often go to because I found, I mean, she has an absolute superpower there. And I learned early in my career about, you know, the role that a coach can play. And really coaching is kind of best applied. And Macy, I feel like I should let you speak to this, but best applied when you're leaning into your strengths as opposed to trying to make up for weaknesses. So it was really where I felt most competent or like I, I had an opportunity to really shine. That's where I really tried to make use of Macy's availability as a coach to our teams. And out of that, I think a pretty natural and powerful partnership is what we came to find. And one of the things I appreciate about Will as a leader, as a partner, as a mentor and a coach to me, he leads with curiosity, empathy, but also, you know, is willing to be coached and, you know, give out that hard feedback whenever I need it or I ask for it. And so we have a very honest, compassionate, curious partnership in where we approach everything with like, I think this is the right thing will keep me honest here does this feel like the right thing that we need to be focused on this half and he'll say the same thing to me like he'll send over a book and say this is the most this is the best thing i've read you know this quarter on sales what do you think is there a, a, something here that we could potentially bring into a learning program and so we build on each other's ideas that way and kind of check the ones that maybe don't fit the box or fit kind of the things that we're seeing within the organization. And we've had some really awesome conversations and some of my best ideas have come out of conversations that I've had with Will where we just go in kind of open thinking and ideate and come out on the other side with something that I feel like is pretty solid and is going to be a good path towards solving a problem. Well, Macy, going back to your psychology background, I feel like it ties really well to what you're doing at VidMod. And there was an article called The Importance of Human-Centered Design and AI Development. And I'm going to quote you here. You said, as a psychologist, I understand the importance of considering human factors in the development of AI systems. By taking a human-centered approach, we can design AI that meets the needs of users and aligns with their values and preferences. And I am especially passionate about this topic as well. Just as a former educator, so much psychology goes into how we teach and train and coach. And we're the ones informing these AIs. And when we're in this do less with more economy, I think we're going to start to turn to these tools and solutions to actually coach and enable. So I love that quote. I would love if you could expand further on your thoughts about how we can take more of a human-centered approach to these tools. Yeah. I think sometimes when we think about AI and we think about automation, we think about the loss of kind of the human connection. But I feel like it's the psychology and kind of that the art that is never going to be replaced. Yes, we're going to have AI that helps us to be bigger, better, stronger, more efficient. 
But at the end of the day, we can't mimic empathy. We can't mimic soul. We can't mimic heart. And so I think it's a combination of leaning into the psychology. I'm super passionate about understanding what makes people tick, what makes healthy organizations. It's my background. But I think layering on the technology onto those abilities are just going to make us kind of get that formula right quicker within companies and then also within our relationships within the companies and also ultimately the relationships we have with our customers. Unreal answer. I mean, Will, I'm just thinking about the Sherpa that you have in Macy when she's the guiding barometer for we cannot mimic soul or heart or compassion. And I'm wondering in what is clearly a simpatico rapport and repartee that you guys have built, I have to think that you weren't, I don't know, at least in the beginning, instantaneously kindred spirits, or maybe you were, maybe it was just lightning in the bottle to place I know, people at the right place at the right time, but either shed light on the early stages of your dynamic with Macy as you were learning to do the tango together, or even before the era of Macy, the BM era, if you will, when did you not necessarily have the luxury of a partner in enablement like Macy? And what are the things that oftentimes you either in your own experience or you've witnessed other partnerships, where does it go sideways? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a fun question. I would liken it to lightning in a bottle. I mean, I think very, very quickly, Macy and I recognized in each other a lot of shared thinking and shared approach. And Macy also had a really successful career as a seller. And that certainly shows in the work she does in this space as well. I think what I just immediately recognized and found to be complementary to my own approach to leading a sales team is Macy knows how to complete thoughts that I'll have on, oh, this is a pattern I'm starting to recognize of what's working in the field. This is something that I want to try to scale and make repeatable. And she can find a way to take those things and turn what would feel to me otherwise like an unteachable quality and make it teachable, make it trainable, figure what are the actual working parts of why that pattern is starting to show up in business and how to succinctly, how to really quickly put that into the process of what we're introducing to the frontline teams. Macy, I'd love to take that back to you. So since you've both worked at really large companies like Facebook and now earlier stage startups like VidBob, how would you break that down tactically to what Will just spoke to? Like, how does that look different from the, each size of organization? Yeah, I think just to kind of highlight, like from the beginning, lightning in a bottle, Will has no ego at all. And he came to me and he was like, hey, give me what we call hot sauce feedback. And we actually use that vernacular when I was like, he's like, I want the truth. And, you know, we demand that feedback and we've just, we've been honest from the beginning. And he was a very successful sales leader in our past life. He's a very successful sales leader in this life. The difference is we both get to wear a lot of hats now, as opposed to in previous lives, we had a little bit more focused swim lanes. And so you think about where we get to take the partnership and where we get to take these two organizations within sales and within sales enablement, the sky's kind of the limit when you are at a startup series D or you see an opportunity, you get to go solve that however you might see, see fit. And so it's been really awesome to be able to have the large corporation where we had tons of resources and a lot of things at our fingertips to now where it's like we get to be a little bit scrappier and ideate and co-create and create more creative solutions because of our ability to and the necessity to wear multiple hats. 
Are there any examples you can give us that our listeners could take away just as a couple of tactics for a playbook for that situation? Because I think that's where the majority of our listeners are probably going to lie, right? Like they're losing resources left and right, whether it's technology or people. So what are one or two of those creative solutions that you two have worked on together that you could share with us that somebody could implement today? Yeah, I have a very long list of like my co-created ideas with Will Post. But I think the best example here is coming into VidMob, there was no sales methodology here. And it was one of the first things for sales enablement. Like we have to have a North Star. We have to have common language. We have to have a shared approach for how we're going out and talking to clients. And so Will trusted me with that. It's a big, important job for a company at our size where it's like, this is going to be our path forward. And he said, however you see this, if you want to outsource, if you want to co-create, if you want to build, if you want to buy whatever path you see forward. And so partnering with Will have check-ins and I RFP'd several industry-renowned companies that have established sales methodologies. But what I ultimately decided on was we're going to build this thing for us, bias type of thing. So 60 plus interviews later and a lot of consultation from Will and a lot of, you know, understanding of the sales team and our client success team and all of our client facing teams. What do they need? We were able to crank out a sales methodology within three months, and then we rolled it out globally within the next three months. So there was six months that it took us to build, create, roll out, implement something that's enabled us to move quicker. Now we have all of our sales operations that operate within that sales methodology. And so that was something past lives in bigger companies. That's a project that would take two years. And it's something just because we were able to be scrappy and hacky and move quickly we got that implemented really, really quickly. Well, well, first of all, that's amazing. I'm often shocked at the companies I enter that lack those fundamentals at any stage. Well, what was it that Macy really got right that you've seen other people in her position get wrong to not get that over the line? Where did Macy really like land the mark? Yeah, I mean, I think two things. Macy has incredible instincts and when she trusts her instincts, that's usually a big part of it. So her call to say, we're going to build this, it's going to be a proprietary version of a sales methodology. Sure, it's going to borrow from some of the existing best practices out there. And now let's run and ship it and get it scaled globally was absolutely the right call. And we've seen that in how it's actually almost a year later played out in the business. The other thing to note is I think both she and I thrive in kind of environments that require a good bit of urgency. And so there was really a speed factor here to not only get it right, but get it done quickly. And I think we both just share kind of a natural appreciation or affinity for the energy that's built into any environment like that. There are that example of shipping a sales methodology to our global sales team is probably the most profound one in terms of the time we've been working together here. There are a lot of other examples though, where I think the creativity that you asked about has really come through in smaller, more scalable, like everyday learning moments that I love getting to work on with Macy. So just thinking about Q4, we have a sales team, many of whom were just kind of completing their ramp in the back half of last year. And so one thing that it felt like it needed, um, maybe call it like a booster shot of training was on negotiation tactics. And so working with Macy to say, how do we, without taking the sales team offline and devoting a full day to negotiation training or even longer than that, how do we just make that a drumbeat where every single week they're getting something in the form of that? And so 
within less than a week, Macy had turned around. Okay, uh, here's a weekly video cadence where the team's going to be getting reminders from me of all the best practice negotiation advice that's out there. And so being able to see how quickly the two of us, but really credit goes to Macy and being able to bring things like that to the team is a big part of what makes partnership on this work exciting. Having a sales methodology implemented in your business is key. With the constantly changing business trends, having a methodology keeps peace by providing a sales team with the tools, strategies, and best practices to reach success. A survey on the state of sales methodologies in B2B SaaS shows that 60% of sales teams said the methodologies they've adapted have more than paid for themselves, relative to 27% who are skeptical as to whether their investment in a sales methodology paid off. So what does this tell us? How important sales methodologies really, truly are. Now, back to me, seeing well. As someone who oftentimes from enablement has to partner alongside or advise or counsel revenue leaders within our organization, I want to explicate a little bit of the sales methodology project because role clarity, I think, can be so I don't know, overlooked. And in that instance, it sounds like there's just so much trust that you have in one another. But I also think having explicit swim lanes or a pecking order, and it can change project by project, but in the sales methodology example, you rolled it out in record timing. Where did the buck stop? Like at the end of the day, because that's Macy's domain expertise or her wheelhouse in that situation, is she calling the shots and marching orders come from her office and she partners alongside you will, or does it stop with you as the revenue leader? And maybe it's not so clear cut, but I can think in my own career experience, having to sort of almost at times play puppet master with revenue leaders and say, here's exactly where I need to slot you. And over time, that trust is engendered where they're willing to say, sure. But other times when maybe there's more hubris, ego with other revenue leaders in my past, they're like, who the hell are you? No, 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 no. The buck stops with me. And it doesn't seem like that's something you contend with, but tell us a little more about those power dynamics. Yeah, that's a fun question to think about because the honest answer is that I'm not sure we ever were explicitly clear about where the buck stops. So it, it speaks yeah. to the trust that you touched on is absolutely a core part of the partnership that we have. Look, I've not made a secret about it at all that by bringing Macy onto the team, I'm trying to walk the walk on hire people who are better than and the first person to understand that was when I shared that with Macy. That's the playbook I'm trying to run. But I also shared it with my boss, our president, our co-founding team. I mean, everybody at the organization, I was really clear about the powerhouse that we were bringing into the company by investing in this function. I think the trust that both of us know it's done when we feel we've got it right is the number one guiding principle in anything she and I are partnering on, right? That I'm often confused about and don't really bother to go through the process of who who's responsible for which part of that idea. It feels often like when we're working together on any of this work, but especially on the methodology piece, there's total shared credit. We're often attributing probably our own ideas to the other one. I know Macy often gives me credit for things that I'm like, no, I'm convinced you came up with that. And so I really feel that the trust that was built in from minute one was that We'll know that when we both feel we've got this, we've got it and it's ready to go. And Danny, just real quick to empathize with where you're coming from, the enablement perspective. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been on teams before where I had to fight for a seat at the table and it didn't matter how wonderful my training was or it was focused on the most pressing needs of the business. If I didn't have a partner on the sales leadership team 
it didn't matter. And so it's something we've never explicitly said, like, this is your responsibility. This is my responsibility. I've told Will, he is a natural enablement leader. Like he could come over to the sales enablement side and not miss a beat. He's a natural coach. He's, he, it's, he's somebody that I've leaned on for my own career, my own thinking within sales enablement and learning and development, leadership development, all of those things. And so it is one of those things that I didn't have to fight for a seat at the table. So that energy could be used in creating really awesome, creative things in partnership with Will and other leaders across the company. I'm really, you guys are both very fortunate, I think, to have found each other, right? And have had these experiences and had this amazing impact on businesses. I'm going to take a little bit of a pessimist route here, right? Where there's so many organizations that are just being dealt with layoffs after layoffs and cuts after cuts. And that trust factor that you keep talking about, that I think starts to chip away pretty quickly. So what would you recommend for people that are not, they don't have a Will partner and they don't have a Macy partner. Maybe they're in an environment where their free speech doesn't feel comfortable anymore. There's not a space for psychological safety, right? And in that, in my opinion, that's where innovation goes to die. So I think you both probably have great perspectives here, but Macy, given your background, I'd love to get your perspective on it's, if, if it's such a crucial element of getting something over the line, like a sales methodology, and trust is such a critical factor, how can you, even in uncertain times and times of pain and loss, how can you build that trust and empathy within the organization that's already struggling yeah, it's a such a relevant question right now. And to think about psychological safety, and I think it was a stat that I read, 70% of people in U.S. companies don't feel like they can ask a question or challenge leadership on any particular thing. And that's probably even higher now. And so we're at a time where people are just scared. And so trust, and it's one of those things when you have it, you know, when you don't, but you don't always know, you know, how you build that bridge. And I think challenging ourselves to always operate with the assumption of best intent from the other side, it's a really challenging thing, but hopefully slowly over time, it's something that that empathy and trust that you're showing others can be given back to you. We've had teams within VidMob even that they didn't have that trust necessarily. And so we just brainstorm what's some ways that we can help to establish this and even using language like, help me understand this. And so it's just a kind of a way to open the door a little bit, to ask a question and to say, I'm not assuming anything. I'm not accusing of anything. Dialing into that curiosity. And it's hopefully like even through those little anchors that we can begin to establish that assuming best intent. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of people that are trying to figure this out, especially right now. And I don't know, I don't think that there's a silver bullet necessarily that anybody has to be able to get it right. It's kind of the snowball effect. Either way you go, either you're building antitrust or you're building trust. And so, you know, trying to operate with best intent, I think is a decent place to start. Yeah, I- I really appreciate the perspective. Well, what would you add? Totally agree. I think the question you asked is the question right now. Something that Macy and I talk about often whenever we're working on any kind of, whether it's a next training series or what we're going to roll out to the team is really this idea of how are we going to make learning possible? And so there's a functional or a tactical aspect of that, of are we going to bring everybody together? Or are we going to try to create a forum where there's the actual opportunity for that? But there's also, to your point about psychological safety, like how do we create the mindset for that? 
so that whatever it is that we're trying to introduce to the team, it's going to take, and it's actually going to resonate with the team and address whatever's on their minds. And I think one of the things that I feel has become a core, really important part of my job is to work fear out of the team and out of the organization. And I talk really openly with the sales team and with the rest of our leadership team about this very thing. I just rediscovered recently something that was suggesting like there's fear built into the buyer-seller relationship. Buyers are weary of sellers. Sellers are weary of not making the sale. And I've really come to appreciate, especially in this environment, especially where you've got dispersed teams, sometimes people who have never met each other in person. Look, fear is some manager's tactic of choice. It's just one that I've found to be not effective at all. So I'm really open about that with my team. And I think that's I hope, but I do feel that that's helped build some of that trust into the equation in the team right now, even where we're not immune to any of the stuff that you raised in your question. Last year was a challenging year for us, and it still continues to introduce plenty of challenges. Across the airwaves, Will, I can speak for myself, but I just got goosebumps. Just so appreciate you calling out the notion of fear in the profession. And as someone who teaches classes on buyer psychology and behavioral economics, we deliberately teach people to manipulate how the brain ingests fear-based language to garner some advantage and not, and I think in a totally sadistic or mercurial way, but in fact, that is just how we're hardwired. And it sounds like, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this and Macy yours as well. When Macy says, hey, Will, I need you to talk about the best negotiation tactics and I'm going to set the cadence, but I need you to be the figurehead. And in so many ways, you leading from the front and being on air or exposed are inherently being vulnerable. And I think that people can appreciate, well, if Will, who's at the helm of the ship, he is our VP of revenue. If he's willing to either fall on his face or stumble through it, maybe it seems a little less scary or it seems a little bit more accessible. Is that by design or is that just one of the ancillary benefits? Maybe, Macy, can we start with you? And like, are you thinking about putting Will in those positions? And then Will, if you could follow up and say, Macy never sets me up to fail, even though I'm acutely aware that this could be fear-inducing. I love this so much. And I can tell Will's probably chomping at the bit to answer this too, because this is something that him and I both are extremely passionate about. We just had our sales kickoff in February and we had this segment where Will got up and pitched in front of the entire global sales organization. And then we gave him feedback. And feedback is a thing that organizations have to kind of work their way up to. And like, we didn't just give them like, oh, that was amazing, Will. Like, yes, it was amazing. And then we said, okay, now what can Will do to make this even better next time? And I, like, we demanded feedback. We demanded three things that he could do to make this even better next time. And so for the organization and the company to see somebody like Will, who is one of the best at communication and presenting, for them to see him receive feedback like that, that was really powerful because they were like, oh, there's things that even, you know, Will can work on as great as he is at this. And so allowing ourselves to show that failure and to talk about those failures, that's something that in the organization, it starts from the top. And if we can show our leaders being vulnerable and being willing to showcase failures and not be perfect and to show like, hey, it took me 13 practice sessions for me to be able to get to this place where I'm this good. And I had coaching and I had this and this and this to talk about those types of things. I think the ability to fail and the ability to be vulnerable with, from everybody else in the company is that much more increased. And it's something that I challenge leaders do more of that. And I think Will is one of the best that I've worked with 
he's really honest with things that he does well. And he's really honest with things that he's working on and failures that he's had in the past and how he's learned from those. So I applaud him and I challenge other leaders to do more of that. Plus one of that. Will, what do you got to add to that? Look, I love exercises like the one Macy was talking about. And I think what I usually then look for is the opportunity to replicate them with whoever is willing to go next. And so in some cases, that's our CEO. And in some cases, that's a brave soul on the sales team who is like, all right, put me in the hot seat. I want to go through the same thing because I want to I want to exit that much more aware of where I've got gaps to make up. And also, I think a lot of times what doesn't get talked about is people aren't necessarily aware of their strengths or like really acutely aware of the things that they're just naturally good at. They're naturally good at them. So they come easily and they figure, oh, everybody's good. And so I love the opportunity, especially working one-on-one with team members or in any kind of a forum like what Macy's talking about, to see the light bulbs go off for people where they realize that something that's a natural strength of theirs is actually a superpower or something they should really lean into because it's a natural strength area. Well, was there something in your life, personal or professionally, that gave you this sense of confidence to take these risks and take these challenges? Because I think that there's Many people, especially in the corporate world, that weren't maybe fortunate enough to have opportunity to be, to be confident to take those challenges and those risks. So I'm just wondering if there's something personal to you that has made you the leader you are today that can be so vulnerable. Boy, that's a good question. I haven't thought about that in a while. I'm sure it, I'm sure it goes way further back than starting my career. But I do think, you know, I found myself, like I said, kind of accidentally stumbling into a sales career more out of need than anything else. And I think that just is sometimes a motivator that we don't talk about where it's like, hey, I need to do this and I need to figure out how to be good at it as quickly as I possibly can. I was really fortunate with one of the best bosses and still a mentor to this day who believed in me really in that first sales role that I was put in. But I think I just found an appreciation early on for sometimes you got to step up to the microphone or step up to the whiteboard. And that is often advice that I've had to give to plenty of people, whether they're new in sales or new in a role at a company, but not new in sales. And they're still trying to, you know, work their way through the ramp. At at some point, you just got to step up and try. And I've always found that to be the better alternative than than kind of going through the exercise in your mind and wondering about what. Obsessing over analyzing. Yeah, that's great. Well, first off. Before we get to our final question, I want to thank you both sincerely, both Danny and I do, about how vulnerable you both were today about talking about something that's so critical in society. And I'm so glad you found each other. And I hope we continue to see more Will Macy duos out there in the wild. But before we let you off the hook here, you, I'll give you the choice. You guys can both answer on three. <laughs> see if you have the same answer. Or we can do the probably more appropriate thing, which is answer one-on-one, one-by-one. This is a final question we ask all of our guests. And that question is, if you were to describe sales in one word, what one word would that be? I promise not to change my answer if Macy wants to go first. Man, can it be a hyphenated two-word answer? Sure. Go for it. I would say problem solvers. Well, did that, was that yours? I would say creative. Macy, do you want to elaborate on problem solvers? And then, Will, we'll give you last word. 
I was trying not to be like too analytical in my response. Like, do you mean good sales? Do you mean like typical sales? Like what we think of, but I think about the best salespeople. And this is, again, going back to why this partnership is so awesome. Like Will approaches sales the same way I approach sales enablement. We're solving a problem. At the end of the day, you have to know what that problem is. You do that through curiosity. You do that through asking questions. You identify what that is. And then you solve the problem. Whenever you're solving someone's problem, they're great with giving you their money. They're great with giving you their time. And so I think the best salespeople I know are the ones that solve a problem. Love it. I totally, I totally support that answer. Yeah, I would say creative. I mean, you can tell I'm an advertising guy at heart. So I've been in advertising my whole career or advertising adjacent. And I think we're just starting to see this referenced like war between art and commerce is actually not so. Many of the most creative people I know have an incredible mind for business. Many of the best people I've gotten to work with in business are some of the most creative people that I know. I think those things are certainly in the ad space, but even beyond that, just uh, naturally linked. And our two answers combined, in fact, are kind of a perfect embodiment of the partnership. This company believes that creativity solves problems. And between the two of us, you've got creative and problem solving. So there you go. Well, in the house, the duo of creative problem solvers, affectionately renamed not as Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, not as peanut butter and jelly, but as the Avengers of revenue and sales enablement. Wow, this has just been a true delight. I'm totally tickled pink. Will Post and Macy Tanking, the VP of revenue and the head of enablement at VidMob. This has been an utter treat. We can't wait to bring you guys back on. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.